Thanks for joining me on this episode 5 of my podcast about police in the Northern Ireland Troubles and incidents that generally went unreported due to the scale of violence in the province at that time. Again, very positive feedback has encouraged me to frame these accounts using a narrative structure drawn from my knowledge of the incidents or that of some of my colleagues serving at the time or indeed from members of the respective paramilitary organisations involved. The following gun attack on police occurred on a cold winter's night in 1992. In order to better relate the incident, I will again use a number of narrators. Otherwise, the recounting of this incident would take about 30 seconds. Elements such as motivation, ideology, counter-allegiances and human frailty could not be expounded upon. The following characters are therefore employed to flesh the narrative. Mark, a special branch officer. Jude, a member of the provisional IRA. Richard, a member of the RUC full-time reserve stationed at Grosvenor Road RUC as well as a number of secondary characters. You had anything to eat yet? asked Mark as he seated himself behind the Mazda steering wheel. Tim was already settled in the front passenger seat, eyes skimming over the pages of the thin file on his lap. Get something after sure, he replied without lifting his gaze. Mark steered the Mazda out of Castlereagh RUC station, headed in the direction of Shaw's Bridge, near the south of the city. What's this boy like then? Tim said. Mark narrowed his eyes against the glare of a car's full beam amongst the traffic in the opposite lane. Sure, blind us all, you friggin' Egypt, flashing the Mazda's headlights in frustration. The sky was a deep well of blue-black in which the half-moon shone with stolen light. Tim turned the heater around to full, smelt the air pulse from the vents, grazing his skin with warmth. His stomach grumbled, hollow with hunger. He'd missed his tea, as he had to take a call from this asset. Needed to speak urgently. Would be involved in something. That's what the asset had meant. But using the coded line, my wee brother's gone off the rails again. It was crude, but it worked. Things can go to hell very quickly in this world of whispered sedition and cold rooms of insurrection. It was just the nature of the job. You had to be careful. Blood was cheap and easily spilt. He's all right, said Mark. Just like to think he's running us. Just play along. Usual stuff. See what his problem is. Fix it. Go get something to eat. Tim flicked on the Mazda's radio. R.E.M. were still losing their religion. I see he's been on the books a few years, said Tim, closing the file. Think it's true what he says? You know, that he's in good terms with para-army council? We'll see, said Mark. As much as he liked Tim, he didn't want him to go poaching his asset. What's he know you as? asked Tim. Victor. Victor? said Tim. Yeah, as in Victor Meldrew, replied Mark. Tim laughed. Another five minutes and Mark was driving the car into the small car park set off one of the roads around South Belfast. He studied the other parked cars, recognised that of the asset and reversed the Mazda in between two empty spaces. Tim automatically got out to have a quick recce of the area. They'd have uniform backup if they needed it, and they were both carrying Glock 19s, but it was always good practice to have a good look around yourself. You didn't want to find out that your asset had been compromised by being set up yourself. By the time Mark returned to the Mazda, the asset had planted himself down on the back seat, along with the smell of tobacco and leather. 
from the jacket he was wearing. All right, Jude, said Mark, addressing him. Tim turned his head. Had a look at this Jude character. He tight curly black hair, pale blue eyes, which looked tired, but searching. Jude was clean shaven. Tim noticed in his hands sat claw-like on his knees. Jude leaned back, sniffed, and cocked on about ye, the Tim. Too cool for school, thought Tim. So, tell us then, Jude, Mark said. What's happened? What do we need to know? Poor Jude had been checking the optics on one of the bars on the Falls Road, where he worked as a barman. The shift finished in a couple of hours. Then he'd nipped home and see the girlfriend and his toddler son. Get some tea, watch a bit of TV, then deliver pizzas for a local takeaway until midnight. Beer and cigarettes were also delivered on the QT. The bar work put him in good stead to overhear conversations and notice new faces. The delivery job usually threw up a few surprises like who was staying where or even shacked up with whom. He knew how valuable he was to the branch. Him, a seasoned volunteer, he had a good few years in para under his belt. His handler harping on at him to progress up the chain. Maybe even get a regular job driving one of the Sinn Féin bigwigs. Jude always shrugged off the suggestion. Told the Sanders he was just waiting for the right opportunity to come along. He was gold to the peelers and they had deep pockets. He knew his worth and knew his handler would sort a decent pay for him. Maybe even some bonuses with the odd bit of good intel. Oh why? Jude would try and give them something decent and for wise. Especially when he needed a bit of extra cash. Just enough to keep them coming back for more. But not so much that they'd get smart start taking the piss with them. He would sometimes make things more than they were. Especially if his intel was a bit barren at that time. Maybe tell them an armed robbery team was actually an active service unit on their way to a job. Up to the peelers then what they did with the info as long as he got paid. Then again though, if he felt the job wasn't right, I mean didn't sit right with him that is, he'd let his handler know, you know, let him know what he knew about it like. When he'd learned there was plans to stick a bomb underneath a peeler's car, well that peeler was always driving his kids about. Well, peeler or no peeler, you don't take chances like that, thought Jude, where some kid could be blasted the kingdom come. But then sometimes a job could be just that, a job, and he certainly wasn't always going to put his neck on the line, especially if it meant he'd be bringing himself to the attention of Paris internal security team. Nothing's worth getting tortured and a bullet in the head. Fair enough, Jude had assisted internal security a few times, breaking kneecaps and smashing knuckles with an iron bar. That had been a speciality. Well, I mean, you have to show a bit of enthusiasm just to deflect any suspicion, he would tell himself. Those who got not up by internal security just got clumsy. Jude learned not to be clumsy. In his previous job, he'd been very clumsy. Back then, he'd worked in the accounts office of a local brewery. Been siphoning off cash just now and then. Got caught after he pocketed nearly £900. In between his police interviews, there appears these two plainclothes cops. All chatty and friendly. He says to me, I play ball with them, be their eyes and ears like, well, they tell me they'd look after things, maybe get me a suspended sentence, but if I took the piss with them at any time, they'd find the perfect reason to get me back in the court 
and see me serve time in prison. And so Jude took their offer, ended up working for Special Branch. Besides, he was already an IRA operative at the time, hence her interest in him. He surmised anyway. He'd just take his medicine. He wasn't for doing jail time, as wee boy had cancer. Jude was going to be in jail. While his wee boy had died, no. He thought that wasn't going to happen. Besides, the extra money would help. He'd see his wee boy well again. And with the cash he was saving, would go and live near his uncle, just outside of Cork. A few things with his handlers. Now and again he'd throw in the odd fake intel. Stuff he just thought up. Told his handlers. Just to see if they would still pay him. Sometimes they did. Sometimes they got frustrated with him and wouldn't pay. No matter. As he said, the peelers had deep pockets. Jude fella. Jude looked around. Hearing his name being called, snatched him from his thoughts. He turned around and he saw Patrick Flynn. That was who called his name. Pat was one of the para-Northern Command politicos. He was a stocky wee man, about five, six. Round face, with puffy red cheeks, small eyes and a tangle of grey hair. One of the para-old guard. Fancied himself as a writer and a raider. Still, whatever he thought himself, he was a dangerous frigger. Not somebody to be messed about with. Aye, Pat, Jude said, turning to lean on the bar, keeping a tired expression on his face. How's the wee one, Pat asked, pausing, before adding, Sean, isn't it? Wee Sean. Sean, aye, Jude replied. He's okay. Still back and forward to hospitals with him, but he's a wee fighter. Pat smiled. Like his daddy then, eh? Crossed the short distance to the bar, leaned forward, said, It's as well you're there to look after him. Heard his mommy's a bit of a header. They smiled, ignored the comment, shrugged, asked Pat if he wanted a drink. Pat replied no, continued in a hushed voice to tell Jude how well the organisation thought of him, that his talents were needed for and up against the peelers, just in a couple of nights' time. Jude would be working with some of the Lower Falls ASU. You see, one of them let Pat down, but Pat didn't seem to feel the need to elaborate beyond that. Just that Jude was to call at an address in the Clonards later that evening. Things would be explained to him then. Pat smiled, strolled out of the bar, leaving Jude with a bitter taste in his mouth. He put any apprehensions about what he might be walking into to the back of his mind. I'll be fine, I'll be fine, I'm careful and smart. He told himself. Still, thorns of doubt rose in his mind, hooking his thoughts for the remainder of the afternoon. So that's the score, Mark said, as he sat in the chief's office, across from the DI. The chief was off, long-term sick, so Mark's DI was acting up. The DI glanced down at Mark's report, then back to Mark, said, And it's a fixed point that he's talking about? Yeah, Mark replied. It's a Land Rover parked sideways across the bottom of Stanley Street, just at its junction with the Falls Road. There's two or three reserve men detailed to stand behind the Land Rover just to check any vehicles entering Stanley Street. The DI nodded, said, because of the threat of a car bomb, rocking up the gates of Grosvenor Road Station, I suppose, or any station in Belfast for that matter. Mark knew the boss would only skim read the report. Leave him to explain it all. Aye, Mark said. So Jude went to an address in the Clonards. I uh, forgot to type it in, so I've written it at the bottom of page two. So he goes along to the house, says it was just him, 
an x-ray one in the house, just talking about nothing until three other fellas came in. They chatted away. Jude says he was happy enough. As soon as he realised it wasn't going to be a lynching party for him. So anyways, he's a driver. The names of the others involved, two of them, as well as the other two, who were in the house, are on the last page. Our collator's updating things now. And a weapon? Asked the DI. Jude thinks it'll be a rifle, but says he won't know for sure till he's in the car. Okay, said the DI, jotting notes down. The police will be behind the Land Rover. And the firing point's going to be in a car. Stationary or moving, unknown, right, right. He raised his eyes to Mark, saying, Look, I can't see this team hanging around so close to the station. I'd imagine they'll crack a few rounds, maybe off at the Land Rover and Scarper. Look, if Pop Flynn's a finger in this op, then he's sniffing around for something. Too risky for your man to suddenly pull out of the op, or for us to collar them on the run out, or even on their run back, for that matter. I see Jude scuppered a few for us lately, so I think we should let this one fly. When's it set for again? <clears throat> Tomorrow night, replied Mark. About half nine. Right, look, I'll speak with the chief in Grovner. Tell him that we've received info. Tell him to have all call signs in the patch. Get into hardcover for about, say, nine onwards. Is Jude going to call you? I mean, to let you know for sure the op's going ahead. Mark shook his head. Said he'd not be able to. He's sorting something out with his kid. Right, replied the DI. Not great then. Doesn't leave us with much option. Just assume it's going ahead then. If there's nothing by half nine, we'll put the area out. Send in a few snippers, okay? Grand, said Mark. I'll nip down to the comms, just in case Jude gets a chance to phone. <clears throat> Make sure comms know what to do with his call if it does come through. Oh, here. And Mark, if you do get talking to him, tell him to maybe jerk the car or something. Nothing too obvious. Just as the shooter's taking his shot. You never know. Might make him snatch a trigger, drop his shots, you know. Aye, said Mark. Well do. Closing the door behind him. 50, Tuesday night, Grosvenor Road Station Canteen. How quick do you think we'll get away tonight? Asked Richard, one of the full-time reserve men stationed at Grosvenor Road. He watched as Alex, another full-time reserve officer, thumbed another 50p into the poker machine. Alex chewed his lip said they better be on time at c-section and they friggin take their time well if they do we'll just take our time in the morning said richard alex didn't answer he was too busy deciding whether to stick again well here richard said checking his watch time for me to be heading out again richard strolled out of the canteen opened a packet of crisps as he took a lift down to the ground floor then munched his way down to the Land Rover at the bottom of Stanley Street. Gary left to take his break, leaving Richard with Chris and Simon. The night air had thinned, clouds drew cloaks, a flashing grey across the stars. Chris stamped his feet, saying he should have put on another pair of socks. Richard was about the offer to start the Land Rover's engine so they could get a bit of heat coming off it, especially from the front wheel arching around the bonnet when the voice of Sam in Grosvenor's control room crackled from their radios telling all call signs to get into hard cover until further notice. Should we get inside the Land Rover? asked Chris. Nah, said Simon. 
sure the back doors won't open and besides they're against the station wall anyway the heaters broke too and it'd just be blowing cold air around inside sure we're better off out of it anyway richard said at least outside of it we might have a better chance if they hit it with a rocket or something not like you to be so cheerful chris mocked whatever said simon they better not hold up the bloody changeover anyway See, Saxon will just use this as an excuse to arse about inside the station longer instead of coming out to let us away home. Richard said, look, could mean anything. Probably up around New Barnsley again. May as well turn on the engine. Get a bit of heat. Jude walked down along Albert Street from where the taxi had dropped him off on the Falls Road. About halfway down he cut right and threw some entryways between houses until he arrived at an address off Servia Street. A man in his 60s with a fat veiny nose let him in. The two other volunteers he'd be driving were already sat in the cramped living room. Jude counted at least seven cats mooching about downstairs as they waited for the phone to ring five times, then a further five to let them know the job was on. What car have we got? Jude asked as he sat on the arm of the sofa. Fat nose was clattering about in the kitchen. Her pick, said the volunteer, sat closest to the TV. Turning one of the knobs, trying to get rid of diagonal lines of static, which drifted across whenever he was trying to watch. In the end, I went for an Orion. <clears throat> bit of room, like, wee bit of comfort, piped up the other volunteer. He was sat on the sofa. Jude smirked, saying, dead on. I like driving these. Oh, you'll not be driving, said the one still fiddling with the TV, glancing towards Jude, then back to the TV. I'll be driving. So he changed the plans, see, holding up his right hand, letting Jude see his bandaged forefinger, saying, went and sprained my trigger finger and work. Still drive like, besides, glancing across the other volunteer. D here's a crap shot, looking expectantly at Jude. So, here, you can handle an AK all right, which is just as well. Jude managed the slight smile, despite feeling a dryness in his throat. Hearing a change in tone, eyes searching his own, looking for a reaction. Last minute change, thought Jude. Could be nothing, coincidence, just could be testing me. His mind flitting over Flynn's words to him. Jude knowing Flynn liked to think of himself as a rat catcher. He'd fingered two touts before, fella Kieran and wee Davy. Frank Jude had helped torture Davy. No, Jude told himself. Just coincidence, that's all. Varying thoughts that the weapon might have been compromised by the branch in some way, a tracker fixed in it, something. It was okay being a driver if they got caught, could have denied knowing about the weapon, but now he'd be cradling it, firing it. No way he'd be able to let Mark know about the change, about him being the firer. And anyway, if he suddenly makes excuses for not wanting to be the shooter, or even not to go on the shoot, well... Then he may as well pull a hood over his own head and confess all. No, the branch don't need to know everything. I'll have to keep a few yeses. Besides, Mark or the branch could drop him like shit any time. Jude was just another tool for them to use and throw in the gutter when he was no more used to them. Bastards. Maybe I do this shit and make the branch think twice about trying to frig me over just to let them know they don't know everything about me. Don't really know how to play me. You okay, Jude? asked the other volunteer, who'd be sat in the front passenger seat, helping to scout the road ahead. Thought you liked the chance to have a crack at the peelers. 
Aye, aye, Jude replied, forcing himself to relax. Give nothing away. Jude was about to ask where the AK was when the phone rang five times, followed by silence. Then it rang a further five times. Mon, time we gotta move on, said the volunteer with a bandaged finger. Jude followed them out of the house. The streets were quiet. No army or police patrols around to bother them. When they reached the car, the boot was opened for Jude. The AK removed from where it was concealed and planted in his hands. Its metal cold to the touch. They set off in the car, down on the Collentry Road, past a string of dull-lit living room windows and through the pale glow of street lights, then turning on the Devis Street. Are we supposed to still be checking cars if we're in hard cover? asked Richard, arms folded, leaning with his back against the side of the Lange over. Who knows? answered Chris. Simon said, Should I ask? fixing the shoulder strap on his sterling submachine gun. Still too early for the night crews to be coming in anyway, I suppose, said Richard, remembering that he'd still to put in for a day's leave so he could take his Sunday birthday party for one of his friends in the nursery. Wondering too if his wife was really going to be made redundant, if she was just exaggerating about the firm closing. He sighed deeply, said, I'll ask control, sure. See what they say. We get close, said Jude's driver. You crack away. Jude sat behind with the AK across his thighs. Another car's going to drive past the peelers first, said the volunteer sat in the front seat. We meet them in Durham Street. They'll flash their light once if the job's on. They don't flash, then that means the job's off, and we just bin it and hightail out of here. Jude tried out a few firing positions while they waited. Slowly realised both volunteers in the front had put on gloves. He'd not brought any. Cursed himself for not making sure he'd gloves on before handling the weapon. No worries, he thought. He'd give it a wipe down before handing it back to the quartermaster to plant back in whatever hide it came from just as long as he remembered to wipe it down. Control says not to worry. The crews are going to set up a VCP just on the Grosvenor Road. Control says they're tied up with something, but they should be here in about half an hour. He was relieved. Didn't fancy stepping out from behind the Land Rover to stop any cars coming into Stanley Street. Besides, in about half an hour, the night crew would start coming in. The earlier thrum of the West Link had dissolved into the murmur of a car passing every now and again. An empty tin can tumbled and clattered in some street behind them. Nothing else moved. Jude leaned forward and squinted, just as a Ford Fiesta turned off the Grosvenor Road and onto Durham Street, driving up towards them. Its headlights flashed once, then it carried on past. The driver, its sole occupant, remained in a dark silhouette, not even glancing at them. You set? asked Jude's driver. Jude crashed around into the AK's barrel. Flicked the fire selector to full auto. May as well let rip, he thought. Whacking a peeler had put him in good stead with command. Get Flynn off his back. He could spin a waffle to the branch. What they didn't know wouldn't hurt them. Even so, be good to let them know they needed him more than he needed them. They drove steadily down to the junction of Durham Street with the Grosvenor Road. Waited for their light to show green, then turned onto the Grosvenor Road. Drove countrywards, approaching Stanley Street on their right. Jude wound his window all the way down as they passed the station's new sanger on the station wall. Jude's mouth was dry, his palms were tangling, hoping if anybody was in that sanger they'd be looking the other way. Waves of cool night air curled around him, 
They were only seconds away from the bottom of Stanley Street now. Jude found himself thinking back to a time when a pillar had stopped him as he was walking along the false road. Asked the usual questions, then asked Jude if he ever thought about his own kids when he pulled the trigger. Jude had told him aye, that he did every time, just to get rid of the peeler. But the truth was he never thought of Sean. Not at times like these. He'd learned over time to put any thoughts of Sean somewhere safe in his mind, just to shield him from what the Brits had turned him into. The Brits. Just sacks of shit stuffed into a uniform. He'd no qualms about wasting them. About taking their money. About using them. He'd win in the end, he'd tell himself. You had to think like that, or you become complacent. Get crushed between your comrades and the Brits. Not going to happen, he thought, pressing the AK's butt tightly into the hollow between his shoulder and chest. Sitting side on now, elbows resting on his legs, watching the station wall slide past, the peeler's Land Rover come into view, steadily squeezing the trigger, hearing the muzzle snarl, the furious crack of the working parts, thunder back and forth, foresight sailing across the Land Rover's side, across the open junction, and then the driver punched the accelerator. Jude slumped back against the seat. The AK silent again. Must have caught at least a few of the bastards with that. Eh? laughed the driver as he sped through the roundabout and drove the car further up the Grosvenor Road, then turned off into Roden Street, where a team were already waiting to set fire to it. Klein told him to run, but his body refused to move. He heard the rounds drum against the Land Rover, saw some spark off the wall opposite, saw Chris squat down, pressing himself against the Land Rover's offside front wheel. Simon stood holding the submachine gun, wide-eyed, knocking his cap off as he tried to unfold the SMG's stock, then silence again. Only the silence seemed more violent on its return, more violent than the sound of the gunfire and the smash of the rounds, more sudden, unreal. It was then that Richard felt the burning drill into his ankle, quickly followed by tendrils of agony creeping through his foot and up to his knee, and then his whole leg seemed to pulse and swell with immense pain. He felt a great weight at the back of his neck, pressing, his breathing shallow, face felt cold. He wanted to throw up. Then the lights swam together into one fraying halo, getting slowly darker until it drowned all his senses moving through him as if he no longer existed. Mark gazed out the window of Special Branch's kitchen in Castlereagh. He was in early, well before the civilian staff who would start filling up the car park from about half eight on that morning. He'd watched the first light of a bloodless sun flow over the flat roofs of the station's offices. The cattle gurgled with heat, then clicked off. His mind was elsewhere, even as he made himself a coffee, even as he sat at the small kitchen table and read over the incident report pertaining to the, the previous night's gun attack on police. So far, so predicted, he thought. The shooter had spread the side of the Land Rover. Mark had already seen fresh intelligence from other sources that Jude had been the shooter, but he'd confront Jude about that himself. Maybe use it to put a bit of pressure on him, to get himself a more commanding position within Paris Belfast Brigade. That would get the bosses off Mark's back. He was on his way to handling another senior figure within the Irish Republican movement. As he continued to read, the letters on the intelligence report bled together until he was looking at the face of his friend and colleague, Alan. 
Alan was stationed in Eglinton RUC station. Alan had been missing for three days now. At first the thought had been he'd been abducted by paramilitaries, but that was soon dismissed and Alan had been recorded as a missing person. Mark glanced back at the other incident report on the table. It was dated with today's date. Alan was found at around five o'clock that morning beside a stream on the edge of Woodland and Fermanagh. A local call sign had attended with an ambulance. Alan had a single gunshot wound to his stomach. A service revolver had been recovered beside a dirt road from which it appeared that Alan had dragged himself to a small stream after shooting himself in the stomach. Why the stomach? The thought continued to trouble Mark. If you were going to shoot yourself, he thought, why didn't you just put the gun to your head? Or why didn't you talk to me about what the hell was bothering you? Mark would later be told that a gunshot wound to the stomach was the worst kind. As well as enduring the seething agony of a slow death, the victim would also become increasingly thirsty. In his last moments of life, Alan had dragged his dying body towards the stream to drink. Maybe he'd been attracted by the silver chatter of its waters, gliding out from the woodland. And beside its banks, Alan had died, alone and tortured by the hesitant hand of death. Mark took a sip of coffee, letting its bitterness wake him from his thoughts. Shuffled the reports together and headed off towards the DI's office. Richard was waking up in the Royal Victoria Hospital's recovery ward, his head groggy, a rawness in his throat. He remembered the sound of gunfire, the pain in his leg. He craned his neck up from the pillow, fear coating his mouth. He saw his left leg was raised in a sling, the ankle bandaged. He felt the air on his toes. His right leg was under the bed sheet, also intact. He lowered his head back onto the pillow, closed his eyes. Sometime later a nurse told him his wife was waiting to see him. Some of his friends too. Richard fought back his own tears when he saw the emotion on his wife's face. They hugged one another, Richard finding solace in her arms. A sense of belonging, of home. When he was well again he would promise her he would ask to be moved to a safer area. One where the constant threat of him being murdered might not bother him so much. They would be okay, he told her. Not to worry. He was sure her job would be okay. Besides, they had each other and their kids. That was all they needed. When they had each other, they had everything. A bullet from Jude's rifle had struck the ground underneath the park Land Rover. From there, a broken piece of bullet had spun from beneath the Land Rover and smashed into Richard's ankle. The remainder of the rounds embedded into the Land Rover's armour tires or brickwork. Four rounds travelled the full length of Stanley Street and through an aluminium screen. From there they embedded into the rear wall of a pigeon fancier's club. Jude sat at the rear of the chapel. The air was perfumed with incense, mixed with the smell of old mahogany pews and the scent of candles. Jude listened as the priest intoned the liturgy. Even though he didn't believe, it reminded him of his childhood. He couldn't even remember believing. Even so, he had still absorbed something in those years, accompanying his parents in their devotion. He would often take comfort in those memories, finding himself sat beneath the bowed head of Christ. He watched the flame of the candle he'd lit for his son 
as it trembled in the brittle air. The signs weren't good for Sean, but he was home again, but Jude found himself being unable to stay with him at times. He had to get out of the house, just to plead for Sean's life to someone else's ghost. He'd bought himself a bit of slack with the organisation by winging that pillar. He'd make sure the next one in his sights wasn't so lucky. The branch would be pushing him again, just to be more involved in Northern Command. But all that could wait. He might just rid himself of those treacherous special branch clowns. He found himself praying some more for Sean, even offering his own life. Telling himself, Sean wasn't ill because I've killed men. I've nothing to be sorry for. I don't need to forgive myself. Anyway, isn't that what priests are for? To forgive us our sins, because we can't forgive ourselves. Pew in front for a few moments, closed his eyes, then decided it was time to head home, to be with Sean, for whatever time he had left. Well, that concludes episode 5 of Stray Bullets. Richard's ankle never healed properly, and he was treated damnably by the job, in part because he was full-time reserve. He died of natural causes in 2017. Mark served the remainder of his career in Special Branch. Jude? Well, Jude is still a member of the Republican movement. Obviously, names, as well as an exact depiction of the incident in question, have been somewhat altered. Thank you for listening. I very much appreciate your time.